Loving Father, uh, please um, show us something more of the breadth and depth of your mercy and please work in us by your Holy Spirit so that we can respond. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I was about 15, uh, our family had a bit of a special treat. That is, our um, parents took us on a three-week tour of China. Um, they were stingy with cars, my parents, but generous with holidays. Uh, now, China back in 1987 uh, was very different to China today. Uh, most people were very poor, there was no middle class, and Western tourists were a bit of a novelty for people to see. Uh, and part of the tour that we went on was a two-night uh, boat cruise down the Yangtze River um, through the Three Gorges, which are now underneath a huge lake because they've dammed it for electricity. Um, but this boat that we were on, went on was a large boat. It had upper decks where, an upper deck where the tourists were, and it had lounges and uh, cabins and wait staff and stuff like that. Um, and then the lower decks were where the locals who were travelling from one city to another were, uh, and they would spread out Hessian sacks on the floor and just sleep the night there. Uh, at mealtimes, we would walk through the boat down to the back uh, where there was the dining room. And uh, we, the tourists, were served mountains of food, a banquet for breakfast, lunch and dinner. In fact, very similar food, breakfast, lunch and dinner, just, you know, like at a Chinese restaurant, um, which we sometimes hardly touched because we all had tummy bugs on the boat. So it was a bit of a shame. We picked at this ma these mountains of food. Um, but the locals, the dining room had a deck around the outside of it and the locals were out on the deck. And so they were literally pressing their faces up against the glass watching us as we uh, ate or didn't eat all of this food that was set out before us. So you'd look up from the food and there were just faces filling the windows of sort of people just watching. So uh, it, it was very awkward and we felt terrible the whole time in more ways than one. Um, for a start, not being able to eat all this food that was there and then have ev everybody watch you um, not eat the food. Um, but the abiding memory that I have was this sense of I am a person of great privilege and here are people outside the window who are being denied that privilege and it's only simply because of where I happen to be born that I get all of this and they don't. The way of the world is that there are haves and there are have-nots. Um, there are billions of people in the world who are very definitely have-nots in a material sense compared to most of us here. In spiritual terms, there are also haves and have-nots in this world. Not everybody knows God as their father. Not everybody knows that their sins are forgiven. Not everybody is going to spend eternity in heaven with God. So what is the difference between the spiritual haves and the have-nots? Is it just the luck of the draw? You happen to be born in the right place to the right parents and so therefore you get to go to heaven and have all these blessings? as opposed to other people. How does it work? Well, uh, in first century Israel, uh, in the mind of the Jewish people, there was a clear understanding of who the insiders and who the outsiders were. Uh, if you were a Jew, you were in the covenant, you were born into it. You had a special relationship with God. You had his blessing, unless of course you dropped the ball, but you had his blessing and there was a place in there for you. If you were a Gentile, that is a non-Jew, someone from a different race and culture, then you were an outsider and you weren't even on the radar for God's blessing. As long as you remained a Gentile, all you could do was press your face against the window and look at the blessings that God was giving to his people, the Jews. 
But what we see in Matthew 15 today is that the coming of Jesus changes all of that. There's a very radical development that occurs in the passage that Eli read for us just then. And that is that the, bless- the blessings st- start to spill out in a very significant way beyond the Jewish nation. And it, it hints that maybe where you stand with God is not going to be about who your parents were or, or, or the luck of the draw. Maybe outsiders were going to get a seat at, at the Lord's table in the kingdom of heaven. So what happens in this passage is that Jesus moves outside of Israel, the physical borders, and the Gentiles start to ask for crumbs from the table um, uh, of the Jews, but the Gentiles end up sitting at that table with Jesus by the end of this passage. So firstly, there's verses 21 to 28, uh, where a Gentile woman asks for crumbs from the table. So she's a Canaanite woman, and her encounter with Jesus sort of opens the floodgates of blessing to outsiders. So firstly, in verse 21, uh, you see that Jesus moves outside of Israel. He goes to a place called Tyre and Sidon, which is sort of code for pagan land. Um, This is a a, a Gentile place. We might ask why Jesus chose to go there. Some people think, oh, well, he wanted some peace and quiet, so he thought he'd find some there. Other people think, well, maybe he was hiding from the Pharisees there. Uh, But it's hard to imagine that it wasn't a deliberate move from Jesus, which I think it was, that he knew what would happen. And this is a gesture that's full of meaning. He's going outside of Israel. He's leaving Israel and he's taking blessing with him. He's going to spread blessing to the Gentiles. Um, Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, he's helped Gentiles before. There's the centurion in chapter 8. But here he's actually moving outside Israel with blessing, taking blessing with him. And that's a sign, first of all, of judgment on the Jews who had been rejecting and opposing him. Remember in previous weeks, we've been going through Matthew, we've seen how his own family, his own hometown, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have refused to believe in him and rejected him. Um, The Jews thought they were the haves, but if they rejected Jesus, actually they were the have-nots. And so Jesus leaves Israel with his blessing. And that's a pattern that the Apostle Paul would repeat as he preaches the gospel. Uh, He preaches first to the Jews and then they don't believe and so he goes to the Gentiles. And we see that happening here. So he goes beyond Israel and a Canaanite woman comes to him in desperation in verse 22. Now, if you're reading the Old Testament and you read about a Canaanite, then it's not a positive description. Somebody being a Canaanite is a bad thing because remember, uh, the land of Canaan was the land that God gave to his people Israel and the reason he gave that to them was that the Canaanites were particularly evil and it was time for God's judgment on them. So God says, drive them all out of there, don't let any of them remain uh, because the Canaanites were a spiritual threat to Israel and their faith. So being a Canaanite was not a good thing in the Old Testament. Here's a Canaanite woman, as she's described, coming to Jesus. So she's the ultimate spiritual outsider. And she even has a demonic influence in her household. She comes to Jesus and she says, my daughter is badly demon-possessed. So this is something that most Jews would just run away from, don't touch. But she's desperate, because after all, she's a parent with a suffering child. And she cries out to Jesus, have mercy on me. And then she calls Jesus all the right names. She calls him Lord She calls him son of David, which is a very interesting thing for a Gentile woman to call him son of David. She's recognizing he's the Jewish Messiah, but she's, of course, not a Jew, and yet she's asking for mercy. 
So she's really kind of throwing out a speculator here. Um, she's just hoping to find some sort of miraculous mercy from this person. What response does she get from Jesus? Well, first of all, he answers her not a word. Um, so initially there's hesitation. And I think that's because Jesus is deliberately stretching this out. Some commentators think that Jesus is actually a bit torn here. There's his compassion on the one hand, because he's a nice guy, but on the other hand, he thinks, well, my mission is to Israel, so what am I supposed to do? And so he's silent for a while while he's thinking it over, and then he starts talking to himself, and that's what we're seeing. That's what some people think. But I tend to think that he knows exactly what he's doing here. His hesitation is more to emphasize that what he is about to do is really big and significant. And so he kind of builds it up. In verse 23, his disciples urge him just to send her away because she's being annoying. Uh, they're not moved by her need. They just want to get rid of her. She's crying out. She's being a pain in the neck. But Je Jesus doesn't answer her, but he doesn't send her away either. He stretches this out. In verse 24, he says, I don't know who he says this to, but he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But in verse 25, she persists and she kneels before him and she says, Lord, help me. She knows she has no right to ask. She knows that the Old Testament covenant does not extend to her, but she's asking anyway on her knees, Lord, help me. Uh, he stretches it a little bit further. Verse 26, he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Ouch, you might think. Um, He's saying the Jews are like the children at the table, the Gentiles are like the pets under the table. Uh, the word that he uses for dog here is not the wild dog, but a household dog, so it's a pet. But she seizes on that, because sometimes pets get scraps. Um, verse 27, yes, Lord, for even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table of their masters. So she's... She's being so tenacious here in pursuing Jesus. And she's such a contrast to the Jews who uh, regarded Jesus with suspicion and unwillingness and unbelief and rejection. And yet here is this woman sort of driving at Jesus and not giving up. And so finally, Jesus stops stretching things out and has nothing but praise for this woman and her great faith. He says, oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be for you as you will. And her daughter was healed from that moment. Now, there are two people in the Gospel of Matthew who are praised for their great faith, and they're both Gentiles. There's the centurion in chapter 8, and there's this woman in chapter 15. And maybe that's because the greatness of a person's faith is measured by what their faith overcomes, what they push through in their faith in order to get to Jesus. And so here is this woman face pressed against the window, the classic outsider, but with a desperate need for blessing from Jesus. Jesus gives her the silent treatment, but she persists. The disciples just want to get rid of her, but she persists. Jesus says, sorry, you're not the priority, but she persists, just give me the crumbs, she says to him, and he opens the door because of her great faith. Now, the significance of that, of that gesture, is seen in what happens next, because Matthew takes us from the Gentiles getting crumbs under the table to the Gentiles getting a seat at the table. So, in verses 29 to 39, Jesus moves on to the Sea of Galilee, but again, this is Gentile territory, it's probably on the eastern side. 
And having opened the floodgates, he now ministers to Gentiles just as he did to crowds of Jews. So in verse 29, it says, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down, uh, that is to teach them. So that's very significant. So chapter 5, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and it was a kingdom moment. He gave the Sermon on the Mount to the Jewish crowd. And here he goes up on a mountainside and he sits down to a Gentile crowd and he gives them kingdom blessings. Verse 30, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute and many others and laid them at his feet and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing and they praised the God of Israel. Now that list of troubles that get healed, um, which Matthew repeats in those verses, is he repeats it, I think, because they are signs of the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of God. So Isaiah chapter 35 lists that very kind of thing, mute people, lame people, deaf people being healed when the kingdom comes. So the point is that the kingdom is spilling out of Israel to the Gentiles here. And Jesus' compassion exp extends to these people as well. He actually feels for these people, not just for his own kind, as it were. So in verse 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and, and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Three days is a long time to go without food. Um, I don't know if you've ever done the 40-hour thing, but that's hard enough, even with lots of barley sugar. Uh, these people, three days, no food at the point of physical collapse. They're going to collapse if I send them away now. But why did they stick around, you might ask, with no food? I assume they were drawn to Jesus. They knew their need. They saw in him a miraculous power. They sensed that this person is significant and if I can be near him, then where else would I rather be? And so they stick with Jesus, even though they're going hungry. And Jesus has compassion for them, as he did for the Jewish crowd in chapter 9. So Jesus no longer has any hesitation, but the disciples are still hesitant. Um, and so we have this exchange between Jesus and his disciples, and it's almost unbelievable that they would go through almost the identical conversation that they went through with Jesus, the previous chapter, with the feeding of the 5,000. Where could we get enough bread for all these people to eat? How many loaves do you have? Uh, well, in this case, they had seven and a few small fish. And it's so similar. And, and so we're supposed to be asking, you know, are they really that thick, you know? Um, interesting, isn't it, that Matthew, who wrote this, was probably one of them, so doesn't mind sort of making himself look a bit silly uh, in his account. It sort of is a, is a pointer to how trustworthy these accounts are. Um, but could the disciples really be this thick? I think the point is that it was so hard to believe that Jesus would repeat such a significant miracle outside of Israel uh, for non-Jewish people. Because after all, bread in the wilderness was such a foundational sign for God's care for his people Israel in the Old Testament. He gave them bread to eat in the wilderness. It was inconceivable that the same sign would be given to Gentile people and that therefore in the kingdom of heaven, Gentiles would have a seat around the table with Jewish people. It was unimaginable. But Jesus does the same miracle of provision here for Gentiles as he did for Jews. He feeds them until they're satisfied. He broke bread with Gentiles. He gave them bread in the wilderness, just like he did for Israel. 
Now, you and I ought to see this as incredibly good news because Jesus is throwing open the doors to the outsiders here and that is all of us. Even if you happen to be from Jewish heritage, you are still in your sin an outsider who needs to be welcomed in. And so this is very good news because it shows us that there is mercy for all with Jesus. Not just for some who were lucky enough to be born in the right place. Jesus' mercies are not restricted to the privileged few. With God, there is no favoritism. Uh, in the, in the um, letter to the Romans, Paul wrote, writes that uh, the gospel is still first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But what he was talking about there was who gets to hear it first. He wasn't saying that it's better news for the Jew than it is for the Gentile. He wasn't saying that Jews get more blessings than Gentiles do. He wasn't saying that in heaven it's going to be first class for Jewish people and then second, third, fourth class for the rest of us. Uh, it's just a matter of who gets to hear it first. Nobody's going to get a better spot in heaven just because of who their parents were, because of their race or because of their economic status or their education or what family they were born into. Um, there is no favoritism with God. Of course, in the world, it's full of unfair inequality. Uh, within our society, there's unfair inequality. Comparing societies across the world, there's unfair inequality. That's what almost defines the world. People, there are haves and there have nots, and it's not fair. But in the kingdom of God, there is no inequality. Jesus has compassion for everyone. His mercy extends to anyone who comes to him in need, in faith. Uh, at the start, I mentioned my family's trip to China uh, um, and it was particularly significant for us be because part of my heritage is Chinese. Uh, my grandfather first came from China to Sydney in 1898. Uh, he came on a boat, I guess it was a sailing boat or maybe a steamship or something. Uh, and the ship arrived in Sydney Harbour and anchored in Sydney Harbour, but the colonial authorities said, all oh, right, um, well, if you're Chinese, you're not allowed off the boat, sorry. So all the Chinese people on the boat had to stay on the boat in the harbour, having come from China. Uh, he already had family here. He had uncles who already ran a furniture shop in what's now World Square, and he was going to work with them, but, but he wasn't allowed off the boat. He just had to stay there and go wherever the boat went next, which was Tasmania. So he ended up in Tasmania. And he stayed in Tasmania for two or three years until in 1901 there was federation, and so it was all kind of standardised, and he was allowed to come back up to Sydney. That's the way of the world, isn't it? It's harder for some than for others to get on in the world. That's just the way it works. Some people are standing on the outside looking in. Simply because of where they were born, no other thing. But in the kingdom of heaven, there is a place at the table for everyone. What's the difference between the spiritual haves and the have-nots in this world? Spiritual haves and have-nots? It's not race, it's not culture, it's not education, it's not breeding, it's not the family you were born into, it's faith. And that's the only thing that matters in the kingdom. There's mercy for everyone, so anyone, all anyone has to do is come to Jesus and rely on him, like the Canaanite woman did, like the crowds did when they stuck with Jesus. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus gets a seat at the table in the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean, of course, that it's just as, that it's equally easy for everybody to come to Jesus. Um, some people are born into great spiritual privilege. Some people are born into Christian families, 
and with their mother's milk, they get the gospel and they get the gospel all the way through. And so if they want to come to Jesus, they don't have to come far, in a sense. Some people get great spiritual privilege in that, in that way. Others have to come further to get to Jesus. They're not born into a situation where they hear the gospel every day. Maybe they, have, they come from another culture or religion or maybe just a non-Christian home, or maybe in their circumstances they have things that they need to overcome in order to get to Jesus, and it's harder. But the encouragement that I think this passage gives all of us is, don't give up, keep coming to Jesus, like this Canaanite woman who didn't give up, like these people who stayed with Jesus despite three days with no food, they stuck with him and they stuck at it, and they didn't give up. Some people have a lot to overcome, to get to Jesus and to stick with Jesus and it takes great faith for them to do that. Those who come from a long way away might come into church and they might think, well, look at all these insiders and I'm not one of them and it's hard for them to kind of push through in order to get to Jesus. Don't give up. Uh, Sometimes it feels like Jesus might be giving us the silent treatment like he did with this woman for a little while. Uh, Maybe sometimes Jesus seems inscrutable and we say our prayers and nothing seems to happen and we don't seem to get the response. But she kept at him and so the encouragement is, don't give up, keep coming to him. Sometimes sticking with Jesus, you might feel like you're starving, you know, I'm, I'm not getting what I need here, like the crowd. But they stuck with him, they stayed, so don't give up. And it has to be said that sometimes... The people who are already hanging around Jesus are the biggest obstacle to others getting to him, like they were in this passage. Um, The disciples are saying, just send this painful woman away, would you, Jesus? Uh, Not letting her through. Uh, Or the disciples saying, oh, surely we're not going to feed these people as well, Jesus. Um, Sometimes those who are already hanging around are the biggest obstacle and somebody who wants to get to Jesus has to kind of make their way through. Of course, that's a warning to those of us who are regular churchgoers and are hanging around Jesus. Um, We don't always have the heart of Jesus and we need to work on that and we need to pray for it uh, and we need to learn how to treat people like Jesus does. But again, if this is you, don't give up and push through and make sure you get to him, even if you have to push past the Christians. (laughs) Don't give up on Jesus. We don't hear of Jesus praising many people the way he praises the woman in this passage. Oh woman, great is your faith, he says, with admiration, uh, because she didn't give up. And of course, she got the blessing in the end. And he blessed the crowd in the end for sticking around, for not giving up. So you see, these were Gentile people, therefore it's faith that gets you a seat at the table in the kingdom of heaven. It's pushing through to get to Jesus and not giving up. Because after all, Jesus has compassion on every person. Uh, There is no favoritism with God. There's mercy for all of us. So let me pray that God helps us uh, and gives us this great faith to keep coming and to stick around. Loving Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your mercy in Jesus Christ and your compassion on all people Uh, including us. We confess, Lord, that we're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same, Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. So help us to keep coming and to let nothing stop us from sticking with Jesus. 
We pray, Father, that uh, as we do so, we would learn to reflect his heart for others as we uh, become more and more like him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.